we were in the union and we put the flyers on top of a on top of a bunch of on top of a bunch of newspapers yeah and they were like uh the newspapers were like the wisconsin light okay so the, some guy came in to replace the old to replace the old copies of the wisconsin light yeah with new ones yeah and took the old ones yeah and he took the ones that he took the flyers that were on top of the old ones and took off with them because he didn't realize that they were our flyers so that's what happened but dude that doesn't make any sense made sense to him hello listening people hello hello man how are you doing I was really hoping I'd be the first one to say man. <laughs> I was like, oh, you I, and your I'll, I'll say hello, man. And like, no, no, no I'll, I'll leave it to later. But then the second thing Ryan Slewinski, <laughs> the other person talking, says has man at the end. Bartek. Man. Bartek, man. How are you going on this fine, fine day? Good, man. How are you, man? Oh, surviving the summer heat down here in Australia. It's been a bit warm. It's been... That horrid Melbourne humidity that I don't really care for. I'm still, even though I've not lived in my hometown for well over a decade now, I'm still used to the summer heat of uh, my home state of New South Wales, where it's like the type of heat where it's hot if you're directly hit by sun. You know what I'm talking about? Just like mm-hmm. direct heat. Not None of this, oh, it's muggy crap that we have down here in Melbourne, so I'm just making it one day at a time. What about yourself? How are you doing in general? Surviving? Yeah, yeah. I, I enjoy the heat, actually. You enjoy it? Well, of course you do. Of course you do. Oh, this shirt's free. a bit thick, so maybe you shouldn't have worn it, but... He's a thick boy, everyone. And talking <laughs> about uh, thick boys, let's get into That's what we're one. here to talk to about today, which is a movie... On our show, Pictures Power Wow, where we do indeed talk about feature-length movies, except for that one time where we talked about Dr. Horrible sing-along blog. <laughs> but um, we talk about movies that come recommended, and our listening people, that's right, you recommended a film. Our previous guests on this podcast, uh, Steve and Ben from the Last Best Babylon 5 podcast, uh, pitched over to us uh, American Movie. That's the title. American movie, which is a documentary following the troubles of making a movie. Making Coven. Making a... Well, first off, they're trying to make... Well, the title says... The the full title is like American Movie, The Making of Northwestern, I think. Yes. So... Uh, we will go through this. Uh, we both say to you there listening, go check out this for yourself. It's a quick and easy watch. It's a rather fascinating uh, documentary. It's funny. It's rather bizarre. And it can be very inspiring and uh, sad at points as well. It's about the struggles of what it is like to try and make a film when you don't have the resources in more ways than one. And uh, you just meet a whole cavalcade of small town people that feel like they're straight out of a sitcom. If the, guy, if the guy in this could go get the Wakaliwood people, he can make many films. They can make many <laughs> films. So uh, let's just get into this. Now, do you have any familiarity with uh, this at all? I think I'd heard the name before, and I'm sure I've heard the premise before, but I completely forgot. So I went in relatively blind. I was still very early on trying to gauge, like, okay, is this documentary or mockumentary kind of thing? And I think, like, three minutes I caved and checked, like, okay, this is real. Okay. 
And uh, did that influence your watch majorly? Um, I don't. I don't necessarily think the you know knowing for sure what it is changed much. Um, but yeah, it was. Yeah, you say very. It was a quick watch. Um, a lot of things happen in it. Like it goes over a period of years. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all these like little elements at play. Like a lot of it did remind me. Uh, of when we did Ed Wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked in the past before about how we really like films that are about filmmaking, like, you know, the struggles, mm-hmm. the eccentric figures that you come across, um, the the drive of the main director character, which all of those elements are here in this film to... Some some elements, you know, a bit held back, but they're, they're legitimate. This is like a real documentary real people being talked to, these things really happen. So that was a really interesting element of it. Yeah, so I have a bit of a background with this. I've seen chunks of this movie uh, in terms of... It's been brought up in film classes that I went to at university. There was a documentary class that I was a part of, and we got shown some minor moments of the film, like probably like 10, 15 minutes in total of it. And then I saw at least a good half of it on uh, SBS, one of the channels we have here in Australia. Mm-hmm. I just randomly stumbled across it, and I and I had to try and figure out if it was real or not. These were real people because they do feel very outlandishly wonderful people who would be friends of characters in Fargo or something of that nature, yep. where you have these. <laughs> Thick-accented people from America who are very polite, but also they're gloomy and dour and, like, fucked up. And The main guy really felt like a sort of hippie caricature. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so I got to watch it fully last night for this, and I'm very glad that well, this was sent over. I-, I had a wonderful time giving this a watch. I really like how slice of life it is because we could easily construct a a, a much more like three-act structure narrative out of this like we see with other documentaries something like Tickled for instance definitely has that building up of momentum until we finally get the answers and the confrontation and what we learned and you could easily have that here but you know what it actually reminded me of the most of films we've covered on this podcast True Stories, David Byrne's True Stories, where that's a fictional film, that's like fictional characters, but it definitely had that sensation of you're just interacting with these small town figures, there's this elusive thing as a framework, in that film's case it was the talent show, and then eventually we get to the talent show, while here it's about the elusive movie, Northwestern and or Coven by the end, but there are just many sections of the movie where you almost forget that that's what they're driving towards, and you're more just fascinated by the real-life workings of each person here, such as one of the things I, I, I was blown away by was it's ages and until you find out that he has kids. Our yeah. main guy has kids, and he has like a, a, you know, an ex-partner who hates him, and... And, like, he's having to owe this much money to these people, and... There's, like, you you see the kids, and it's like, oh, this guy has kids, and then, like, 
you know, you keep following him, the kids aren't brought up again, then he's, like, listing all the, like, debt he owes, and he mentions, like, oh, child support, and it's like, geez, he really does have kids. <laughs> and then they become very pivotal into the film as well. There's a very, I don't want to say damning, but very revealing moment where it's like they ask the kids, do they want to make movies? And they say no. They're like, <laughs> no, it seems horrible. It takes, like, a million years. Hey, one of them says yes. Yeah, one of them begrudgingly says yes, and that's also the one whose favourite film is Apocalypse Now, the <laughs> horror, the horror. No, he just really liked it. Yes. Because it was the last film that he saw in the cinema. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the horror, the horror. That's uh, what the guy in the film said. <laughs> but it's a very endearing story. You're following a wacky crew of people, and one of the strengths of this is not everyone is aligned to the same vision but everyone's still nice to one another. Like, even his uncle, who's the most detracting, openly detracting voice that's actually with him, because he has his brothers who don't really support his dream and his father as well, but they're not really engaging with the film that he's trying to make. Well, the uncle is providing the the, the finances, and he act, acts in the movie too, but he says flatly, like, he does not believe that any of this will amount to like anything at all and yet he still supports his nephew like he still gives him the money he still does the acting like he still is in it and that's a type of complex nuance that you you can easily overlook in a real like in a fictional film but that's just life like people can be contradictory like that or people can be complex in that way there's even an element of uh i think it was one of his brothers said that you know academically he wasn't all that great but one of his greatest assets is you know his mouth he can talk through anything and after that and that's fairly early on in the film like it just that fact is very prevalent in all of his interactions, especially with that uncle character, um, arguments with his mother, things like that. Just like he's always talking through everything and it's like, yeah, I, I kind of am seeing your point here because, yeah, he's got a good mouth on him. The funniest reveal in the movie, at least for me, is his, it's, his mother is a better filmmaker than he is. Like, <laughs> she understands how to compose a shot and she tries to actually direct him to understand it and like when you see the film and you see like the reveal of the shots that she was doing they're the better ones than the ones he was doing and i found that great i i, I do I no but, that but was ryan wonderful. but ryan he was coming back into the frame he was coming back into the frame yeah yeah, yeah. And he was slightly out of the frame he was slightly out of the frame and i i understood everything she was saying to him as somebody who studied film and has done acting as well, everything she was trying to tell him, I got it. I was like, but he couldn't get it. <laughs> See, I'm I'm a fraud. You mentioned before the uh, the documentary class mm-hmm. at university. I I went into uh, I mean I enrolled into that class, mm-hmm. but they were full, so I didn't get to go to any of the classes. But they didn't de-enroll me. So at the end of the trimester, they just gave me a really good mark. I didn't do a single thing. So I could not have attended and still got a good mark by that logic. Yeah, but it means I'm dumb. Yeah, yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess so. I don't know what that university was going on with. What that university was going because on Because there was with. another subject that where they did the same thing, but I didn't pass that one. So tell us a bit more about your experiences with American Movie. Yeah, it's like you said, slice of life... Um, 
obviously there's all the elements that I was comparing to Ed Wood about, like, you know, actually making the film, but a lot of the elements that were just, you know, the day-to-day life are really what's going to stick with me. Like, I have been constantly thinking about his best friend character, the character, he's a real person, uh, Matt, I think his name was? Mike. Mike. One of them's Mark, one of them's Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah just... And, and he really played an element in my, okay, is this a documentary or a mockumentary? Because he just felt like such a character. <laughs> yeah. Like this best friend character who just doesn't really seem to get what's going on here, mm. but he's really supportive. And you have that one scene, which I think is my favourite part of the whole film, where I mean, was it was it Thanksgiving or something where the guy just comes in and the main guy is like, uh, you know, him just coming here really put a smile on my face and the other guy is just giving this huge smile Yeah, he told some bullshit. Like, he's just talking some bullshit, just casual bullshit. And, yeah. And you, you get this beautiful, really heartfelt, I have, you know... I have trouble getting out of bed some days, but, you know, Mike being here, you know... He, uh, he, he was straight up saying, like, I didn't know... I don't know how I was going to get out of bed tomorrow morning, but, you know, the, he's come here, he's put a smile on my face, I know I can do it, and it's just... That's really great. It is, and Mike's laugh is... It feels unreal, and yet you know it's real, just that... <laughs> As the film goes on and you really just get, like, okay, this really is the guy, like, it becomes mm. a lot more sincere. He does the music in the movie, too. Mm. Yeah, All I've... of the guitar stuff that we heard, and it's genuinely good. Like, I thought the music was awesome, and so I was delighted to see that that was actually mm. his stuff. And, and, he, so. and it is, he is the type of guy where it's like, okay, this guy's, you know, done drugs or drank <laughs> yeah. before... And in the film, he was talking about how, you know, he's been sober for a little while. Mm-hmm. And I looked him up after the film, and sadly, he passed away last October, I think. Yeah, that's probably why this was recommended to us as well, mm. because that was a big yeah. discussion point in the film community. Yeah, really recent. We were probably doing, like, What Lies Beneath at that point. Yeah, but- you won't be surprised that Red Letter Media had a lot to say about that, too, because they're both... Wisconsin, yeah, Milwaukee yeah. based. Um, yeah. But one of the facts that was listed on that Wikipedia page is like, you know, June of last year, he found out that he had, you know, incurable cancer. Um, and then in August, he mentioned that he made, it mentions that he made a Facebook post saying that he's been 27 years sober. So there's that really nice element of, mm. hey, that short stint of soberness that he's had, he kept it up his entire life. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful to hear. I didn't, go into that much research on on him but i did know he passed away and it made me uh, in october go i should watch american movie at some point but uh one of my favorite uh scenes in the movie well his lsd story is amazing when he got taken to hospital Mm. and how he was going to drop some more (laughs) taking it away from him and his mum had the baggie of it that was glorious but my favorite moment this this was this this feels like ripped straight out of like a, a like a comedy show like a Trailer Park Boys or something, where his him and this other guy are explaining how they lost the flyers mm. that they put them on these <laughs> newspapers. <laughs> And Mark is reasonably upset and reasonably says, like, that doesn't make any sense. And then just, then just Mark, just being the, you know, great friend he is, he just defends it like, well, it made sense to him. <laughs> made sense to the guy that took the flyer. <laughs> like, what the, what the hell was that? But, you know, one of the things that uh, I like 
I I am sorry. I meant to say Mike. Mike. One of the things I love about Mark, our, our lead, a guy that we're following, is even when he gets frustrated, outside of when he's drunk, because there are moments when he's drunk and there's some really unbridled rage there that I think says a lot about why he's making movies. But he treats everyone the same. Like he talks to everyone the same way, whether it's his kids or his uncle yeah, or his best ADR friends. Explaining ADR to his daughter. Yeah, and he just he speaks to them like they're all equal to one another. So in that sequence where he's almost like the comedy straight man being like, how did that happen? <laughs> yes, he's annoyed, but at the same time, it's not like he's furious and won't talk to this guy for hours afterwards like I would be. I would be like, fucking what? But he, he's very level-headed, even though he's clearly stressed out. And uh, yeah, I liked I liked uh, he, yeah, I like these people. They're they're very. Um, my favorite uh, was the actor, the thespian mm. actor man who was clearly frustrated. This has taken three years. He's upset that they wanted him to take off his scarf that he was wearing for the photo shoot. <laughs> He, he, I don't know what, <laughs> he felt straight out of Ed Wood, like the, the guy who's like, I'm a classically trained actor. We just watched Bowfinger recently. Yeah. And it's like him and Christine Baranski's character would have been great friends. <laughs> uh, they would have been best or, pals. Or bitter enemies. Or bitter enemies. That's, that's actually the perfect, <laughs> they could be both. They're like friends, you know, just appearance wise, but underneath their bitter enemies. But I loved him. He was just one of these... He felt unreal as well. Just, where did they find him? What's he doing here? Mm. He's so pompous and off his own ass, and yet he's still helping these people out with their rinky-dink movie that may never get made. There was also another funny uh, moment. It was when he was filming in the snow with like the people in the black hoods, or there's that woman... At a house, and he was like, "Hey, could you come do this thing for me? I'm really busy today. What do I have to do? You just have to stand there." And she gets convinced. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. His mother was it. His mother? Yeah, because he's like, "We got to get my mum out there." <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, I thought that was, yeah, some... I thought that was his mother um, because she also has the thick accent." Okay, that maybe. I think that's probably like mom, one of the yeah. introduction points of his mother, right? Because we don't we get introduced to his dad more so. Like his dad and his uncle were more prevalent at the beginning, and then his mother became really key to the making of Coven. Now, what did you think about how? And this is just real life. This is how real life works. You can clearly tell the documentarians were wanting to follow him making his feature length. American great epic drama, uh, was it American Western? No, Northwestern. No, Northwestern. But then he, in real life, just pivots to wanting to finish his short film from years ago. What did you think about that change and kink in the story or, or the, the narrative flow of this documentary? I guess it kind of gave me a bit of a minor mindfuck where it was like, Oh, okay. So this is going to be like a just a brief tangent in the story. Like he mentions, you know, he's going to finish off this shorter project, earn some money on that, and then he'll be able to continue working on Northwestern. Which, as the extended title of the film says, this is about the making of Northwestern. <laughs> yeah, but pretty much from that point on, no, Northwestern is a future ideal. <laughs> we both know, as people who have worked on creative projects and or are friends with people who have worked on similarly ambitious creative projects, 
time, resources, energy. It can really eat away at you like we did. We talk about this on our show a lot. Soviet Western, our collaborative project, added up to what, like 40 minutes long it was in total? Just shy, but yeah, pretty much. Just shy. And that took us like months to get done, like create work out like who's playing who and all the costumes and the set and all that and that's for like a theatrical production which i you know in my experience i think is less of a headache than film production like as we saw here he's filming on real real film he's having to cut film which is also one of my favorite breakdowns of the movie where he's he's absolutely flabbergasted that they've lost some frames of the Mm. movie and he's explaining like people want to see this this is what they want to see and he like puts his hands out to demonstrate like the size of the picture and then it's like they don't want to see this and he and he brings them inwards and i loved (laughs) that because i can get that kind of yeah he's meltdown i've been there yeah he's like talking about a timeline and he's like making a visual thing for it and some of us will understand that but maybe for some people it's like (laughs) what is he talking about but uh, I think that is what I really love about American movie is it shows what happens, which is sometimes you set out with a goal in mind and then you have to deviate to do something else to hopefully get back to that. And you may never actually get back to that. Mm. I mean, I don't know if you're comfortable to talk about this, but like you have had that with your teaching career where you ideally were going to go from university to teaching. Yep. And then what happened? And then I, the first place I went to kind of screwed me over, which gave me four months of thinking like, ah, yes, in four months I will start and everything is great. So I don't need to, mm-hmm. you know, do or prepare anything else during this four months because I just have to wait for the next year to start. Then the first month of the term goes by. It's like, hey, what the fuck, guys? Uh and then that whole month of me calling them almost every day ended with, um, actually, we didn't like you in the interview, the one where you signed the contract and we said, okay, this has to happen. Yeah. So it was just, let, let me put it this way, guys. Go back and watch our unappreciated masterpieces on uh, Boss Baby. <laughs> There's a part in that film where we talk about the Elvis scene and I mentioned, like, I was feeling really down about something, but this cheered me up. That was it. <laughs> You're feeling down about that. Yeah. And then you had further misadventures that you don't plan on happening. Like you had some mm. health stuff. Then, you know, was it VIT, which is like yeah, Victorian, yeah. what does that stand for? Like- Victorian Institute of Teaching. Basically in, a stri- in Victoria, if you want to be a teacher, you have to be on a teaching register and it's an mm-hmm. annual renewal process. And, you know, in amongst all that, you yourself were like, ah, oh, well, I'll focus on the podcast or focus on this rather than trying to get that going because that's just how life is. And I, I mean, we're very, I'm very much the same way as well. I mean, pandemic times has also pushed many people like that where it's like, oh, I had these ambitions to do this, but actually I'll do these things. And then you get focused on those things instead. Like, would I like to have personally done more theater and more like uh, acting stuff. Yeah, but instead I've focused on my podcasts and now I've really delved in and really committed to those. And now it seems like getting back to the theater stuff is mm. like something that's like I'm pushing down the line. And that's what yeah. you see in this, where it's like it's, he's it's- trying to finish something that he started like three years earlier, however many years earlier, and we see in this documentary, it's still taking him years to finish (laughs) just this 40-minute long film. It's like in the past, you know, when we were younger, I was thinking like, oh man, it's really weird to hear about like these 
stories of things that are getting made that started like years ahead of time. It's like, wouldn't you have finished it by now? But now we're in a situation where you, Will, and I have a project that we've been working on for a little while, mm-hmm. and it literally has been years. Yeah, and it's, it's like, just wow, we, we are exactly in that situation right now. Yeah, and people just. One of the aspects that I um, found confounding and not confounding in a bad way, but just it speaks to the spirit of this community of people that he's gathered around him is you never see that people just drop out. Like everyone sticks with it throughout all of these years. Like he still keeps these actors. Mm. He still keeps like the production people. Like there may be one or two people who flicker in and out because they go to jail or something, but like he wait for them and then they'll come back and they're just like, yeah, Mark, let's do this. Shove my head through that door. And oh, that was one of my favorite interviews. That guy, how he talks about, and I've been there as somebody who's had to work on student films and short films. He, the the guy who's I give them a deadline you mm. know of when I have to leave but I know mentally I'm gonna push that back to give them some time but there's going to be that one time where I am out I'm gonna go I loved that insight <laughs> because as a guy who's had to sit in people's lounge rooms for like four hours waiting for them to finish other people's shots mm. to eventually get to me yeah. It reminded me of the um the guy that played Peter the psychologist in The Disaster Artist. Mm. How in the book he was talking about like Tommy, I told you I'm going at this time. I am going now. Yeah. <laughs> I always and you know, whenever we talk about the room, you and I off mic, I always mention that I legitimately think the only good actor in that movie is the mother and Peter the psychologist guy. <laughs> Those two seem like the only like legitimately like I could see them in other movies mm. being like l- good used well if dialogue was actually human. I remember you also really liked the actress that played the mother's actress in the Disaster Artist movie. Yeah, Jackie Weaver. That's it. Yeah. That's Jackie Weaver from uh, uh, Stoker. Remember, she was in Stoker, and uh, I met her in real life. I talked about it in a Stoker episode, so people go back and listen to my Jackie Weaver story where I just snubbed her, even though she was just freshly (laughs) Oscar-nominated. So um, what else do you want to touch upon in American Movie? Um, Do you want to talk about The Uncle? I was literally thinking about talking about The Uncle, yeah. (laughs) So The Uncle is the reason why I had to download subtitles for the film. Because I think about 20 to 30 minutes in, I was like, okay, I, I'm i not getting anything that this guy is saying. <laughs> they already have thick accents. They already have thick accents. Like, I could gauge what they were talking about from, like, the main guy's reactions to what he was saying. But, yeah, it just... Well, they're like, mommy, they like this. Because that's how he spoke. Because he's old, he has false teeth, and mm. they even mention that. Yeah. He's, he's on the precipice of death, which... Hangs over the movie. You can feel that hanging yeah. over the movie. and it's definitely in the, like, epilogue text of where mm. is he now, yeah. Mm-hmm. I kept... Because he was introduced as, like, oh, it's the father's brother. And it's like... And as the film went on, they didn't mention that fact again. Like, was he brother? Mm-hmm. Not his father? And they mentioned again near the end. Like, no, yeah, they... They feel very different ages. But they were both older. Like, I looked up uh, Mark's father, who died a little while ago, and he was, like, 90 years old, while the uncle, I think, was in his early 80s. So, you know, mm. you know, they live a while, these guys. <laughs> um, but what did you think about the, the, the uncle character or p- person and how 
he influences kind of the the perspective that we see of our of our lead. They had a really interesting dynamic. A lot of it kind of did feel like they were having two completely different conversations with each other, mm-hmm. where the uncle. I was just imagining like a younger version of this character being a bit more like our lead guy, Mark, you know, with a good mouth on him, could probably talk through anything. Um, But now he's stuck in this, you know, body and this age where he is clearly, you know, on his way out. He's speaking slower. He's mumbling, doesn't have as much energy. Needs people to bathe him. Yeah. And it really just felt like if he had, you know, the energy that would make him be able to speak his mind a bit more clearly, it would be a really, it's like something profound is within him that he's trying to bring out, but we're not really getting it because yeah, he's he's speaking really slowly and we've got a fast talker Mm -hmm. alongside him. And how honest of a relationship is it? Because the uncle is speaking smack like he, he he does not believe in dream but he still participates in it as i mentioned and that in itself is a very peculiar place to be but then you have mark who because of his fast mouth is is wringing money out of this old man like he's very overbearing and there are points where it's like oh it seems like a genuine like connection of the two where he's giving him the money but then there are other points where it's like he is it comes across like he's pressured into doing so because this this as i keep saying he's persistent mark is persistent and if you have someone who just keeps grinding you like that you cave eventually and so i was thinking about that where it's like and that can be like how real life family dynamics work, where you push each other in that way, where to an outsider eye it can look a bit off. And uh, I really felt a lot during that. It's the final scene of the film, right? Or at least it's right before their final the, yeah. conversation, where Mark is basically pleading with him to have dreams and to have hope, and the uncle's very much at a place of clarity and he's like why Mm. why would i do that my life is basically over i'm realistic i know i'm stuck where i am forever which is a part of the narrative that we the audience have about mark that he doesn't understand which is mark is stuck like mark's never going to make the film like he's never going to be the big like filmmaker that he wants to be like that's a part of the journey of this documentary you pick it up very quickly of oh this is a filmmaker with a lot of ambitions but he's never going to succeed at them like he's never going to reach what he will feel is personal uh, satisfaction yet he's going to try and there's a bit of a melancholy in that, wouldn't you agree? Did you have that at all? No, I definitely did, yeah. We, especially there's an earlier scene um, where someone was talking about, like, the films that he's inspired by, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, Night of the Living Dead, and- Day of the Dead. Day of the Dead, and something else. Mm-hmm. Um and how these, and when he was asked, like, oh, well, what inspired you about all these films? And all of them were very similar answers of, like, you know, they were dark, gloomy, they were real and raw. Alive. Alive, and these are the kind of films that I want to make. And then someone later on says something like, 
you know, there are so many films out there. Like, why would your films, you know, stand out among them? And this was in the late 90s, this character saying it. Now think about that exact same question today with the availability you can and the ability to make movies as well. Yeah, it just felt like, you know, you're, you're, tr- it seems like you're trying to make exploitation grade films in a way mm. which you know won't get the large reach you know you maybe you'll get like a cinema snob episode or something out of it but yeah it, it just seems like there is like an ambition to be big but then there's also like the passion that you have is for something that you know won't really get you where you want to be and again especially as we're moving towards 21st century where cinema gets a little bit homogenized and he's working uh, from an older era anyway, because at this point, you know, what he wants to do is to make, like, just to boil it down, remove all of the, the, the personal and the sentimental reasons. What he wants to do is make a short film for profit, so then he can make another film for profit. And at that era, in the 90s, shoot it on video. That's what people were doing. You have watched, as have I, many, many episodes and of uh, Red Letter Media's Best of the Worst, where yeah. how many of those have they watched? Like a gajillion of those where they're either shot on straight on video or like shot on cheap film. But Mark doesn't do that. Like Mark pays for film and like he wants it in black and white for that raw look, not just because of it's it's cheaper as well to shoot in black and white than in colour, but like... He, he he's working from a, a framework that even at that time was outdated for what he's trying to do. But because he has that personal ambition, like that personal drive, it is what motivates him to do it like that rather than he's just clueless. Because it's not like he's clueless of, like, he knows how to cut film. Like, that's one of the things that blew my mind is, like, when they went to like all of that process, I don't know how to do that stuff. Mm. I don't know, like, and I studied, you know, because well, I'm in the digital age, but like, even back then, there were filmmakers who you, you could argue were at a higher level than him in terms of like profit and people seeing the movies who wouldn't know how to do the things he was doing. Yeah, basically, the only footage I've ever seen of something like that is yeah, I'm a fan of James Rolfe, the guy that does Angry Video Game Nerd, who the trivia said this is one of his favorite films and. Mm. I've probably definitely heard him talk about it in the past, but he's had some videos where he talks about, like, you know, actual film stock, things like that, and he's had videos where he's like, oh, yeah, I'm cutting out these frames of this film and putting my own, and I use these products, and they're products that make the the physical look of the reels look a bit, you know, played with. Like, there's the thing mm-hmm. sticking the the frames together. It's like, yeah, I cut out the, the this thing and put this thing in there so that I can have a, a proper recreation of how this film originally was. And it's like, wow, that is really advanced and I haven't really seen anyone else talk or, you know, do this kind of thing on camera before. Admittedly, I haven't seeked it out, but it, it felt like very high-grade film buff stuff. A part of... The rawness of the movie is, yes, we can look at it, many people do, as like a funny movie. It's very, very funny. It's very quotable. There's so many wonderfully quotable lines. And, yeah, man. And, and Mark, for all of his flaws of like saying man all the time, he will just 
sometimes throw in a very eloquent word, but then you realize when you think about it, like he's just padding out a very empty statement with an eloquent word, and sometimes he's using the wrong word. I really liked how instead of he was supposed to say, "I want to exercise this from the script," he said, "I'm going to resurrect this from the script." I'm like, "That's the wrong one, Mark." That's the wrong one, but okay, I know what you're getting at. Apparently, ADR didn't mean what he said. No, that's a common misconception. Even I've said it on this podcast. But uh, what part of the rawness, and I think a, a real truth to the artistic proj- uh, uh, like process for many people, especially these people who are struggling to get films made because of budget and other concerns. Like he's he's living in a small rinky dink town. Like he's not in a city. And he's having to rely on his peers and his family is the mental state that you are in. He's depressed. Like there's whole sections of this movie dedicated to just spending time with Mark going over his mental problems and his and his psyche and his self-esteem. One of the he tells it very in a very funny way. But that that speech he has about his job. I was literally about to bring it up, and then I thought, oh, Ryan's about to bring it up. And how he looked at the toilet and it's covered shit. in shit, and it's very, very it's funny. Like I, I stared at a guy's shit for like 15 seconds, thinking, oh, I, now I have to clean up someone else's shit or something like that. And although I haven't had that exact experience, I understand exactly what he's talking about, though, where you're doing the thing, you're doing life and whatever, and you stop for a moment and go, this is what it is. This is my life. And then you proceed to do it, and it's through a begrudging lens. What did you think about that aspect? Because that's also something that takes a little while to get, uh, ing- like for us to get ingratiated to, is the fact that Mark himself is just, he's hes sad. Mm. Because this movie opens up very funnily. Like, it's, you, like, you, like you, is this a mockumentary? Yeah. But then it does delve into the real side of what it is like to be someone trying to make a project, which is it can really bum you out having to balance mundane real life and your dreams. Yeah, we're within the hundred minutes of this film. You will go from wondering, is this real, to, oh, this is real. <laughs> yeah, it is it is raw, which makes it kind of weird to think that, like, oh, this was a fun journey because it, yeah, he's got the, like, scene where he's talking about all the debt he owes. Um, you see that one scene of him, like, arguing with his ex-partner. Um, the blunt feelings of, like, his friends and family. Which, even though there is, like, light elements to those. Like, oh, but he's my friend, so I'll help him along. But, yeah, it is... It, it, it's very real. This is a very real talk film. I... Yeah, I, I really felt... A lot during the scene where he's yelling at the TV, the football on mm. the TV, and he's like yelling at these people for like enjoying themselves and like yeah. he's not going to be like them working like their nine to five job, blah blah blah. But he is, he's them. He has his job that he goes to, and he sits with his friends, and like he is the people he's yelling at, and that's like a part of the process that we see is he's self-loathing that he has and just how he wrestles with that throughout the uh, throughout the movie because he does have those dramatic swings in emotions like there's that moment where he's very upset that the actors aren't getting the lines of dialogue right not just that they aren't saying them right but they're not saying them with the right feeling so he steps in there and he's just like screaming in their faces mm. and you can tell it's real rage 
yeah real rage yeah and it was it was quite a journey that little segment there because you get like the shot of them reading the lines out which didn't seem too bad um then he like leaves the studio and starts ranting about like oh they're not respecting the script they're not doing it right and then you get like him just like you said screaming in their faces and it's like wow i don't know if you've had this with people in your real life uh or at least people you see in movies like this, but he's talented in an, he's more talented in an area that he isn't exploring. So it's like he wants to be a director, mm. but he's clearly not very good at it. He's better at being an actor. Like he's not the greatest actor, but like he he when we see his acting, it's it's better than everyone else's that we see in in this. Mm. It's better than you know. It's better than Mike's. It's better than the actual thespian actor. Like. He's a guy that is like, actually, if you focused on doing that instead, you may find more creative fulfillment and be better at it. Like, I could see him, instead of trying to be the great American filmmaker, of being like the fun, like, local actor man who will be in, like, the movie, your short film or your plays, and he'll be, like, playing the comedy characters or these aggressive characters. From what it looked like when I was, like, looking at his Wikipedia page after watching the film, it does seem like he kind of has been that kind of, like, character in the cinema world where, like, he's been on, like, podcasts or shows where it's like, hey, it's the guy from American Movie. Yeah, Mm. you do a voice in my thing where you play yourself and things like that. He's in Family Guy. Yeah. Um, because... I've had that with real life peers of mine where like when I was at university, there's some people I know who were studying this certain thing and then they would, as electives, do these other things. And it's like, you should be doing this instead. Mm. Like one of our good friends, I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not, I'm going to say it like our friend Luke, he studies law. He did law. He's, he, he does law. And clearly, he's he should be an actor. Like clearly, he should be doing musical theater. He's clearly, like always in a play. <laughs> he, clearly, that's what he should be doing, rather than being a lawyer guy. But that's like family expectations, and also just what you do. Like I have to have the real respectable job because I can't be the creative guy. And I, I got that from from Mark. Where it's like, yeah, director. If anything, his mother should be the director. <laughs> she seemed to get it. Like I kept thinking that she seemed to get it. Like even she was directing actors better. He would just be like, be more menace- menacing. Yeah. Like, what does that co- mean? There guy? are a couple of points. Like be this adjective. And it's like, okay, well, you gotta be specific. Point out little things. Yeah. Don't George Lucas it. Where you just don't speak to your actors real, really, and they don't know what to make of what you're saying to them. Mm. Uh, oh, I loved the screaming sequence where every all these actors are uh, uh, recording their big screams, and then his very soft-spoken friend Mike does his scream, and it's so guttural, and it goes on for ages, and he goes bright red, and then when he finishes it, he just gives like a cheeky little smile, like there you go. Gives a cheeky smile. He goes back to his neutral face. Yeah. A cheeky smile. A cheeky smile. <laughs> oh, that was that was a marvellous moment. Uh, um, anything else you want to talk about when it comes to American movie at all? Ah, uh, let's see. Let's see. His brothers don't believe in him very well. Yeah, they don't. One I, of them said he, sh- he was going to, they thought he was going to be a serial killer. Or stalker. Or Someone something. said that. Was it his brother? It was his brother. That's... I think it's also the same one who said he should be in a factory job. Um, uh, I thought that was just a random friend, but no. it was his brother. That's that's a bit 
Yeah, it's a bit sad. Yeah. Um, they really don't believe in this. <laughs> I, I don't know how much there is to talk about this bit, but l- later on in the film where they're showing Coven um, and they've got, like, you know, the, the people outside in line, when the uncle comes out of the vehicle and sees everyone, he does have this smile on his face where it does feel like his cynicism has gone away just a little bit, like seeing the reality mm. before him. That was a really interesting moment. Yeah, and everyone came out. It wasn't just the people in it. Like, mm. It was it was down the road, like that long of a line. I was very happy to see that. And, you know, unlike in D- the Disaster Artist movie, I can't remember if this is in the book or whatever, but there's that thing where it's like, Tommy Wiseau has the screening of the room and everyone's like laughing at it and he's upset about that. And then he turns around and he's like, actually, this is a beautiful thing. Everyone there knows what this is. Like everyone knows what Coven is. They know what it is. Even if they weren't a part of the project, they know that this is a local guy from the town made a little film and we're going to watch it and we're going to just have a good time with it. Like no one's sitting there critically going, oh, this film's shit, or, like, laughing at it in the way that the room is. And that's, like, the difference, too, is between, you know, someone like Mark here and Ed Wood and Tommy Wiseau and who's the guy who did Birdemic again? Uh, James Nguyen? Yeah, these these other, like, Z-grade filmmakers is those people, like, shooting way higher, and so they fall harder. Well, this guy, he wants to shoot higher, but he's actually being... <laughs> Like somewhat reasonable it was like I'll I'll screen it at my local cinema and get the town in, and then hopefully that will spread it on VHS. And his his goals of sale is ludicrous. Like selling mm. three thousand stuff is is he's fucking difficult I back think, then. I think it said that by two thousand and four he finally sold that much. Yeah, and that's after this film. Yeah. So without the documentary, would he? That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Without this hoping give him that notoriety. But I I want to ask you this if you have nothing else to talk about. Is there anything else you want to talk about? There's only one other major thing I want to discuss before we wrap this up. Uh, let's go with your thing, then. Do you think? Because he never made Northwestern. I checked. Yeah, he didn't. He gives given $50,000 by his uncle after he dies to make it, and he never made it. And I was just curious about that, but what I wanted to actually touch upon was we did Who Killed Captain Alex on this podcast, Mm -hmm. which is the first ever action film made in Uganda. Yeah. I mentioned Wakaliwood earlier. Wakaliwood and all of that. And a part of their success, a part of their, like, community was the internet. Like, being found on the internet and they, like, upload their things on their site and you can buy them and all of that. And I do wonder, like, is Mark just, was he just in the wrong time, do you think? Like, if he was doing what he was doing now, do you think there would be far more success for him? Um, I guess that would be a really interesting contrast with that whole element of the genre, the type of film he's making still being quite a niche thing. Uh, maybe if it was a bit more of a straight-up horror affair, he could get, like, you know, there's huge horror communities online. Mm. Maybe something like that could have helped him. But, yeah, it's 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 a really interesting question to posit where if he was born in the future, maybe he could get a bit more of a crowdfunding thing going, but he's still 
very much aiming for something that's of the past. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Because I think about um, do you know the director David F. Sandberg? By any chance, he did Shazam, the the DC movie. Do you do you know Shazam? He I know little bits about he it. He did another film called uh, Lights Out. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he was a he is technically a YouTube person, but he was an aspiring filmmaker in the same way where he wants to do big films. But he made these shorts on YouTube that garnered like a big audience and people put their eyes on him as they watched him grow and develop. And then eventually he did springboard into making feature films and eventually big movies. So he had this short that you may have actually seen where it did become the lights out or lights off. I can't remember uh, feature film where basically it's like the short film of him and his girlfriend in their apartment. And basically it's a horror short. That's like, I think 12 minutes long, maybe of them in their apartment. And every time they turn the lights off, there's like a shadowy figure and then they turn them back on and they're gone. And that's a pitch. That's it. And it was very big. And I think about him and I think about so many others, like, um, forget his name, like Joel, Joel Haver or Haver or whatever. Like he does the same thing where he does all these like little shorts, but then he also does these feature films and people like watch those because they see him through these little shorts that you can easily do because you can upload them and people can find them and you have these communities. But this guy, like he grew up, he was working in the nineties in his local community where you couldn't spread it any further, just like how with Wakaliwood, they didn't think anyone would see their movie outside of their village. And then somehow it found its way onto YouTube and like the trailer and then everyone wanted to see it. And now everyone like gathers around uh, Wakaliwood and like supports them and embraces them. And I think that's just the journey with a lot of small time filmmakers now rather than then. Like I think you and I just having been on the internet, whether we listen to podcasts or we watch YouTube videos or we just talk to our friends, we have a greater understanding of like who are independent movie makers and or short film makers than we did when we were like, if we were like from the early 2000s, because you can just get this information easier. Yeah. And there's also something to be said that like a lot of people, uh, you know, who do get a big following online, that big following ends up making it a bit easier for them to branch out. Like, I'm thinking of all these examples in my head of, like, you know, Aaron Hansen, Raptor. he was a big mm-hmm. animator and voice actor online, gathered a huge following in the early 2000s, eventually started Gang Grumps, and that channel immediately already had, you know, all of his fans and all of JonTron's fans, like, boosting and, it up. And he also worked on Australian television on uh, on Good Gang. On Good Gang, which yeah. Which gave an even bigger audience. Yeah, and he's also got friends from the Newgrounds community who also have all these fans, so there's, like, this big boost that, like, your earlier, smaller affairs can boost something bigger. Um, and then we have all of the, like, I guess, you know, some of them are jokes to us in the modern day of, like, the the channel awesome movies or, like, the specific movies they made. Like, oh, here's the Atop the Fourth Wall movie or the, yeah. the Angry Video Game Nerd movie where it's, like, all these shorter YouTube or online video series eventually spawn up a desire to make something bigger. And we mentioned them, Red Letter Media. They're, they're a film production company. They were for ages. Then they made their little reviews, the Plinkett reviews and other little things on the internet. 
and eventually now here we are and people look at them with reverence and all of that because they they do really great reviews and stuff but it's like they still make movies from time to time some of them are the worst movies you've ever seen but like <laughs> they they have an audience that they would never have had if it wasn't for the age of you could upload something like i could imagine mark if he had even five minutes of Coven and uploaded it to YouTube, people would want to see the rest of it. Hmm. But here it's like, you just don't have that. Yeah. What would be his online content if in this world? Well, I do know that he, a little while ago, made a documentary himself, which was like 20 minutes long about like, UFO conspiracy theorists in his local community. And okay. on IMDb, it has a good rating of 7.5, but I, I, don't, I haven't watched it myself, so I can't test. But, uh, Is so, the same community from this film? I, I, I mean, if it's the same town, but whether it's all yeah. the same people or not. I mean, imagine maybe they're different people, unless there were specific people in his group who are UFO heads, but, like, you know, where he lives. So that's all I have to say about American movie. I definitely recommend watching this. It's... It's it comes you wouldn't expect it to be so hard hitting because another aspect to mention is the documentary making of it isn't flashy. It's also one where the narrative is not told to you by some like person. This isn't yeah. like a Louis Thoreau or Tickled or anything. This is one where the people that are being documented are the ones telling you the story and you are actually having to sit back and go, wait, no, no, no. They, the people who made this chose these specific interviews and these specific shots and to splice them in this way, but you aren't thinking about that when you're watching yeah, it. You I, just feel like you're sitting in the room with yeah, Mike. I, I currently do not know who they are. Well, they've actually got on to be a very good documentarian. They did uh, the Firefest documentary. Uh, I think they have gone on to produce stuff like Tiger King, and uh, they oh, did that okay. uh, Jim Carrey documentary about his making of Man on the Moon, which was a big one. I heard that was big. Yeah, yeah they've 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 gone on to be very like prolific, and they've they make good stuff. I re I recommend their their their. Uh, Do you know which fire? I've only seen they one did of they did one just called Fire. Is that the Netflix one? Or the yeah, one? I think it I think I be. saw the Netflix one. I can't remember if that's the one where there's that guy who's like, I would suck someone's dick so that they could provide us water for Firefest. I can't remember if I that's the one, but so. I think it may be. Yeah. But yeah, Chris Smith. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know how he found these people. Like, because he's, he's not friends with them. Like, yeah. I don't know how he stumbled across this group. I, I actually don't have that information. I'm not too sure. I was thinking that throughout. Like, how how does something so minor get a documentary started about it? Right? And it's also one of those things where how does someone find the material for their documentary? That's always something that I find, something that draws me in, where, like, you have your big ones, like, oh, let's make a documentary about, uh, um, what was his name, Anthony Weiner? Yeah. And that's obvious. Like, okay, he's a big political figure who's had scandals. And then obviously you had Tickled, where it's like, oh, I had a personal incident that now led me down this rabbit hole. But then you have people like this documentarian who's like 
just a film documentarian and they and they just go this is what i'm going to do it's not like louis thoreau where it's like he works for the bbc or whoever it is and it's like okay and he's specifically looking for weird things he's specifically looking similar for, to the tickled thing actually and he's yeah well, <laughs> we talked about how those two guys look alike <laughs> and all of that and so. our, was it our friend julio thinks they're the same person or thought they're yeah, the yeah, same yeah, person yeah 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 <laughs> and so uh that is that. So, Bartek, what is your recommendation for the next feature film we'll be talking about on this podcast where we talk about movies? Yeah, well, I've just realized now that uh, it's also about uh, little guys making something. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going very far out on this one. This is straight up a film you and I both really like, a really funny film that mm-hmm. I just really feel like watching again. I'm picking Wayne's World. Wayne's World. I yeah. did think about Wayne's World during during this. Um, great. The first Wayne's World, not the second, which I know you, you like more? I don't like it more. I just think of them as like a two films that I'd watch back to back. I do want to confirm that the Fire uh, documentary, the Fire Festival documentary that Chris Smith did is the infamous one where the event producer said, I got to his office fully prepared to suck his dick yes that was a thing that and yes i remember that 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 is the netflix one of course of course of course so wayne's world uh one of uh rob lowe's best films i love rob lowe in that movie i was mostly thinking like i want to do a mike myers film we do love mike myers i love mike myers apparently it was his first film first film film well, maybe yeah uh, it was like on the on on wikipedia it listed like wayne's world then how i married I married an ex-murderer, or so I married an ex-murderer, and then Wayne's World 2. I'm like, oh. Okay, there we go. So, people, watch Wayne's World uh, in the interim of time. You can follow us on social media at Spit and Polish Presents. You can email us at spitandpolished at gmail.com if you want to drop us a message, let us know something, or if you want to recommend us a film, we'll add it to our list. You can hit us up at that email or our social media. And if we haven't done it before, and... Try your best to give us ones that you think we could actually find. Because that's a, that's one of the major struggles sometimes is there are movies we would love to do, but it's like, oh, where do I find this? Yeah, anything but, that's Polish. <laughs> any Polish film is difficult to find for us, which is a bummer because I would love to watch a Polish film, uh, especially older ones, because uh, there's a lot of modern ones we could watch that I hear good word of mouth about. But that is all, Bartek. Pleasure speaking to you, uh, yeah, man. man. <laughs> Remember to be kind to each other, man. To your fellow man. Or woman. <laughs> or other. I should say and, not or. And or other. <laughs> and or other. <laughs> <laughs>